Hi, this is C.G. Walling. You're listening to Caribbean Views. And uh, this evening we are going to be going live. We're going to be talking with Miss Joanne. This evening we're going to be talking with Miss Joanne Blanchard out of uh, Baytown, uh, Texas. And just having a, a discussion here, we want to talk about um, prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. And I'm, as you know, some of you know, I'm also a minister of the gospel. And uh, my wife and I were talking this week about children, especially with daughters. And we probably are biased in the sense that we have no natural-born sons. And so we reflect everything on, on daughters. But um, in the Bible, in the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 42 to 46, there's a story about the prodigal child. And the prodigal child one day went to his father and told, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's going to be Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Luke chapter 2, verses 42 to 46, talks about Jesus' coming of age. And the reason why these two scriptures are so critical is that Jesus, at age 12, he, he went out with his uh, parents to Jerusalem. It was the custom of the feast that they would go and visit their people, and then they would also have that feast and visit other family members. And when the parents left, the crowds left, they were going back to wherever it was that they were living at the time. And uh, Jesus was not with them. And they felt that he had probably stayed back with some of the kinfolk. And they kept looking for him because he was their child. And in going back, it says it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And so the significance for me for that scripture is that Jesus disappeared and his parents went back looking for him because he was a child. And again, you will find that story in Luke chapter 2, verses 42 to 46. Jesus was 12 years old when he disappeared from home, and his parents went searching for him because he was a child. But if we move on to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, we find that a young man went to his father. He was no longer a child. He went to his father, and he told his father, basically, you know, I've been living in your house long enough, and I think it's time that I go on my own, and everything that you have for me, you can find it in verse 12 of Luke chapter 15. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not so many days after the younger son gathered all together, 
and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. In other words, he got his half of everything that was supposed to be for him and his brother. Took his half. Went away from home, traveled into a far country. Went a long ways from home. And while he was there, he got into the partying lifestyle because he had the money and the means to do it. But not long, if you keep reading that story. Not long after that, the money ran out. He couldn't go back home to daddy. And so he went through the hardships that comes with being disobedient. And he got to the point where he ended up eating the hog food and the hog pen in the foreign land that he went to. In other words, he left the comforts of home and went out into the streets. And out in the streets, he learned that life is the school of hard knocks. And when you think you don't have anything to fall back on, you end up where you end up. But as the story continues, it's said that the young man came to his senses. And in coming to his senses, he said, I'm sitting out here going through all this, but I have a father who has more to offer than what I am going through right now. And he got up on his feet. Didn't have an Uber back then. Got up on his feet and went back to his daddy. And the Bible says, the story says that his father saw him afar off and ran to meet him and hugged him, kissed him on his neck, gave him one of his best robes and invited him back home. The one thing I want to look at in this story is that this young man made a decision to leave home. He took what he had. He probably lived a good life, as the Bible says, righteous living, R-I-O-T-O-U-S, riotous living, living the wildlife. But that didn't last too long. And he ended up in a place that he was not accustomed to. But the point I want you to see in this story, the difference between the story of Jesus and his mother and father, his earthly father, going back to look for him, and this father not going to look for his son. As a child, parents have a duty to protect their children. And that father went out. When I said to father, Joseph and Mary went out to find that child. But in the prodigal son, this was a person who was of age and made that decision. And whatever he had to go through or whatever he was going through, he had to go through it on his own. And only he could make a decision 
to come back into the fold. The Bible says that the father saw his son from afar off and he went to meet his son. He didn't interfere with him while he was gone. He didn't send him money while he was gone. But when he chose to come back, he made sure that he was taken care of. And I think that is a problem that a lot of us as parents are going through today. We tend to be the ones that assist. There's another word I'm trying to think of right now, but enabling. We tend to enable our children when they run away from home. We didn't send them and they go, but they call us for money. We start giving them money. No. If we are to follow this example, when they leave home, they have to make it on their own. If they want to come back home, we will assist them. But while they're gone, that is their choice. And that story is written in the book of Luke with the prodigal son. If you're a parent and your children are doing this, that is that is their choice. And in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve a choice to do the right thing, even when nobody's looking. And when they chose not to do the right thing, they suffered the consequences. That is the story of the prodigal son. Be right back. Hi, this is C.G. Walling. You're listening to Caribbean Views. Hi, this is C.G. Walling. You're listening to Caribbean Views. All right, good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening. And we are speaking with Miss Joanne Blanchard out of Baytown, Texas. And I uh, just did my intro piece into the prodigal son. And it'd be very interesting to hear another person's take. And so I'm going to open this right now to Miss Blanchard. Well, um, and my take on that, I, it was, it's, you know, first and foremost, it was a very interesting um topic it was a very it was very timely and um i mean i can't say enough about it i do however have a question when a child leaves home in a a proper manner okay for the sake of discussion um to break down the word proper, I guess it it differs from um, country to country, culture to culture, or whatever the case may be, um, generation gaps or whatever. But when a child leaves home in a proper manner, my question is, based on what I just heard, is there something wrong with helping the child along the way? No, there's nothing wrong with helping the child along the way. 
Again, this was a very specific uh, story. It shows a child. Uh, well, first, you have to be familiar with the culture when this story was written. A man's wealth was in his sons at that time. The more sons you have, the more estate you can own, the more you can plant, the more you can herd your cattle, the more you can herd your goats. That was your wealth. So you had more sons. You didn't have to hire servants to come and do the work because you had the children, the male children, to take care of those things. And here was a child who would rather go out into the street than to help with the work at home. He not only would not help with the work at home, when he got into that strange land, he actually had to go to work for somebody else. And in a job that he would have not had to do when he was home with his father. And so there was nothing wrong with helping if a child left on the other circumstances. But when you are a rebellious child, when you don't want to contribute, then you as a parent, you don't have any obligation to help a child who does not want to contribute. They have made their mind up to do what they want to do, and you need to let them go and do what they want to do. And they just have to deal with the consequences. As long as you were not the one that pushed them out, if they made that choice to go, then that's their choice. Again, in the book of Genesis, God told Adam and Eve, well, he told Adam, he didn't tell Eve. He told Adam that this is your domain. You have control over everything in this place. The only thing you cannot do is eat from that particular tree. And external influences came into play. According to the Bible, the serpent came in and tried to destroy the home, not by going to the man, but by going to the woman. And he went through the woman, he got her confused, and instead of going back to the husband and asking him questions or try to get clarifications, she made a decision. And then the man, instead of standing firm based on what he was told by God, went ahead and did what the woman suggested, which was to partake in the forbidden fruit. And it was only if you read the story again in Genesis, you will realize that it was only after the woman, after the man ate the fruit that God came into play. His problem wasn't with the woman. His problem was with the man because he told the man not to. And when you don't take care of your business, there are consequences. So when a child decides to rebel against the parents, and to walk away from the house, then the consequences that bestow that child, they fall on that child, not on the parent. Because you did what you were supposed to do. You raised them right. You trained them right. You taught them right. But the only thing you couldn't do for them was to think for them. That is where free choice or free thought comes into play. And that's what was 
shown in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Even today, God tells you, I want you to become one of my children, but you got to do it of your own free will. You got to confess with your mouth that he is your God, and you got to do it before men. You can't hide it. And that is half of the problem again. So to answer your question, there's nothing wrong with helping a child who left the house on the good terms. If you have a child in college or you have a child who said, Mom, I'm going to move over here, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But when a child leaves your home on the situations other than those where it's confrontational, you don't have a right, you don't have a duty to pay their rent, you don't have a duty to pay their car note, you don't have to do to give them food, you have not you have a right to do nothing. But if they choose to come back home as this father demonstrated, you have a duty to assist them in that manner. Because that man could have said, Well, you left here. I already gave you everything you had, you already had it. You can't come back now, partner. You blew it. But that's not what he did. His son came home and he embraced it. There's another portion in the Bible that says that I am your God. And if you turn away from me, once you have made the choice to come back, I will embrace you. And so the example is there all over the Bible. People who are penitent or repentant, once they have chosen to come back to God, God embraces them because his grace is sufficient for them. And so if you as a parent make that choice, then that is your choice. But you are not obligated to help a child who has left you on terms other than the one that you just mentioned. It's open to you again. I love the answer. It, it clarified a lot, but it also brought forth for me a very pertinent point and that was as long as it isn't the parent who puts that child out the parent should never put the child out and yes i agree and so a lot of times we miss that we go into the bible and we quote we um and, and I'm glad that you brought this up because what you did was you read it in its entirety before taking one or two lines out of there and utilizing that to make your point. We have a tendency to speak in such a way that we uh, weaponize in said Bible. Mm -hmm. And we do so only to what for what is to our benefit. Correct. And we don't take the lessons in there that is um, supposed to be taught or supposed to be learned by both parties. For instance, um, honor, uh, honor thy mother and thy father, for thy days shall be longer. But then I've heard so many so many people that say that the people who say it tend to be parents and they leave it there and they don't go on 
to speak about parents not to, oh my goodness, how, how does it go? I don't know if you remember because right now I'm, I'm not able to. If you get a chance, you can look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. It says, okay, you're referring to the portions that says, uh, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That's Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Exodus 20 and 12. Hold on one second. It says, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment of promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. But what they forget to read is verse 4. It says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, to wrath. but bring exactly. them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay? So it's a two-way street. You not only have to have the respect and the love and the admiration of your children, you must also be respectful to your children. Right. Okay, go ahead now. What were you saying? And that's exactly the point that I'm making. Weaponizing the Bible by only pulling out of the Bible what we want to be able to make us right. And do not remember that the Bible is instructions on both ends, both to the parents and the children. Right. Do you know what the acronym Bible stands for? B-I-B-L-E? It it stands for... There you go. Say it so people can hear it. Basic instruction. um, Before leaving Earth. Right. Basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible has everything we need to live as far as relationships. But we have to be willing to follow what it says. We can't weaponize it as you have stated two or three times during this conversation. We have to live by it. If we are going to apply it, we have to live by it. We can't pick the pieces out. For instance, there's a portion in Corinthians that talks about um, the women being obedient to the men. But it also states that the husbands must also be obedient. But you will not hear that portion because it is not beneficial for men to listen to women. We, that's, that's the concept, which is why, and we, die, we are going to uh, break a little bit when we talk about what I'm about to say next, um, which is why you see a lot of big companies, your Fortune 500 companies are now having something called D-I-E, die, diversity, inclusion, and equity. Um, Our home, the U.S. Virgin Islands, they just uh, proposed legislation to have equity, gender equity, on the boards for the VI government because Mm -hmm. men are believed to be the ones who are 
dominating these boards. However, it was found uh, during the research, however, after the fact that women in the Virgin Islands, they outnumber the men when it comes to positions. And one of the reasons is, is because you find that in most Caribbean countries, the, the men, they are skilled tradesmen. In other words, they go to school and they learn how to build a yeah. house, how to fix a car, how to be a plumber. And mm-hmm. we find that our women, they go to college and they get the degree. So we have more of our women uh, educated academically than the men. But our men are skilled when it comes to using our hands. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. So what they found was that a lot of the boards have women. You have women who have ruled the Senate more than once. You have women who have been in top positions more than once. The top attorney in the territory is a female. Um, Things like this they found. But back to the original question, we got a few more minutes. Back to the original question, should a parent help a child who has left the house on good terms? There is nothing wrong with helping a child who has left on good terms. There's nothing wrong with helping a child who has left on bad terms but you're not obligated to help a child who was left on bad terms. If they left the house out of rebellion, then they have to bear the consequences of their actions. And I know that it's our child and we want to make sure they don't get into trouble. But again, you can give a child everything, but you cannot give them a mind. You can teach them, you can warn them, but at the end of the day, they are the ones that's going to have to make their own decisions based on free will. Your thoughts? Completely agree. You know. Completely agree. We we we, we listen. To, we listen to the news. I'm sorry. We listen to the news, and we say, you know, how did a child? from such a background, end up in a situation like this. And it goes back to, you can give them everything, but you can't give them a mind. I'm gonna give you a chance to say what you have to say. We have a few more minutes. Before we close out, I'm gonna let you take the floor. Go ahead. And a lot of the times, I think that we need to also, as parents, remember when. And if we do a lot of remembering when, before we handle the situation that may be before us with our children, what we can do is we can see when it was our turn. We too as humans, we too as the children when we were children, did not completely miss them because we had our own mind and we were given the ability for free will And so it will allow us the opportunity to see it from the child's standpoint and see why they chose not to listen, yet chose to do it their way. And if we can remember that, we can handle it differently. Dealing with our children from an emotional standpoint that is so... um, Dealing with the kids when our emotions are out of control without forethought, but just action, does not necessarily 
beget the best outcome. And so we as parents have to take, and I'm a, a parent of four grown children. So a lot of times, especially with four different personalities, I have to remember with. And it helps me to be able to have a better understanding of why the child did what they did. And so it allows me to do more questioning than assuming. So I love the fact that you specifically spoke on both the expectation of the child and that of the parent. And I love it. I love it. And we, we have to remember that acronym. And as long as we can remember that acronym, it will allow us to be able to have a direction, even in the absence of our parents, even in the absence of our children. And on that, I'll turn back here. Hello. Train up a child. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way they should grow. That when they are old, they will not depart from that training. Every parent's fear is that when that child leaves home, they will change. But if you train your child in the way they should grow, whether they choose to depart from it or not, they have the training and they have no excuse. Good night and may God bless you. Hi, this is C.J. Walwin. You're listening to Caribbean Views.